0: Check, 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 check. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. This is Inside the Mind's Eye, where we take an introspective look at the stories, perspectives, and experiences of people who are learning how to live life good, trying to learn how to live life better. That's what we're doing, and we're sharing our stories in the process. But but realistically, this is just a means for me to interact with people uh, without feeling socially awkward. That's why this podcast was created. It was created so I don't feel weird about talking to people. And the, we got a special guest on the show who is helping me, really helping me through this, uh, helping me learn how to, well, let me, let me tell you his name first. His name is Ben Lassiter, ladies and gentlemen. He hails from East Cobb. We used to we used to bring the ruckus back in the day, that Wendy's by the Park 12 Cobb Theater. Yeah, we were sipping sauce back there. Yeah, we were rolling dubs yeah, we were driving around like a bunch of jabrones, not knowing what we're doing, where we're going or why we're doing it. And yeah, we may have ended up in rehab. That might've happened. We may have ended up (laughs) stealing stuff from people we love and and harming ourselves and others in the process. That might've happened. You know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Let's go into the show. This is, uh, you know, I'm going to let Ben, Ben do the talking about his story. And, uh, and I got I to gotta just give a big thank you to Ben for coming on the show because he's, he, for me, he represents what it means to be of service and to be present for the lives of other people, to do what we can to help uh, alleviate whatever we may be going through. Uh, and, and for that, I want to thank him specifically. And anyone listening, I want to thank you guys for tuning in with us. Uh, if you have any questions, you'd like to reach out to me or Ben, my email is adamaz87 at gmail.com and his is Lassiter311 at gmail.com. Both of us are open to, to listening and engaging and, and whatever we want you, you want to talk about or share, anything at all, we're open, we're open and willing to receive. And uh, yeah, let's, let's just go in and get in on it. This is Inside the Mind's Eye with Ben Lassiter. start with you know
1: the beginning for you like
0: you grew up in East Cobb
1: yeah I did I grew up in East Cobb like not even 10 minutes from where we're at right now and uh, I mean as far as the beginning is concerned the beginning looked very cookie cutter you know uh, for you know typical East Cobb family I mean you know when I came around I had two older brothers and their lives looked a lot different than mine but with regards to my own life Adam uh, the beginning was... Dude, it was clean. It was uh, it was nice. It was privileged and uh, a blessing to grow up in a lifestyle in which I grew up. Which, you know, I mean, you know, my family wasn't struggling. Um, I played a lot of sports. Um, we were involved in a, in a church at the time. My family still is. Not so much myself, but... Um, so there was a real sense of community. A lot of our family... Was born and raised here in East Cobb and in Marietta um, and still lives here. Um, school was good. I mean, this is just a nice
0: place to grow up. Generally, I can relate in totality, dude. It was like literally my whole life I was happy. Like right. I never wanted for anything. Right. It's so pretty much no no real like trauma or, you know, struggling much at all in your childhood.
1: No, no, there wasn't any of that, um, to be honest with you. I mean, the the struggles that, like, are a common thread of my childhood are the ones, like, trying to fit in. Mm. Which, dude, was a. am not going to devalue that one. That was a real struggle. Mm-hmm. And it started at an early age, you know, in elementary school. Just trying to fit in, trying to be a part of, trying to find my spot, you know, and some acceptance. Like, that was the hard thing to do. So... That was probably the biggest thing that I struggled with growing up as a, as a child.
0: You've, you So kind of like, I, from what I remember my childhood, kind of like needing to have the haircut and the clothes and be like a cool kid, that kind of a thing?
1: Yeah, just picking a group of people that I thought I needed to be hanging out with and spending my time with and, and doing whatever was necessary to do it. I don't know if they had to do the same thing as I did. I felt like I always had to work a little harder to do it. Right. And it sucked at times it definitely sucked um you know I don't, I don't know looking back on it it's like god it was terrible chasing that um but yeah that's what i was doing when
0: when did you start uh so so when when would you say the the first time you ever tried a substance was when how old were you when you did that
1: uh probably middle school, middle school? Um, yeah either like in between seventh and eighth grade or like seventh grade or eighth grade somewhere around then and you know i'd like had a couple of substances prior to that but i didn't know what i was doing i was so young that like i had no clue so for me like knowing what i was doing taking a sip of alcohol like for the very first time with the uh, intent to probably experience some kind of feeling was uh either seventh or eighth grade
0: yeah, and, and one of the things on the show I, I have a lot of listeners that are, are in no way affiliated with addiction or alcoholism personally right and so they're listening and they're and they're trying to understand the mind state or the perspective of somebody who develops the allergy and the craving to continue using drugs and alcohol and uh, it's tough for me to pinpoint on like when that happened to me right do you once you first tried the alcohol did you f- what, did you experience anything or was it just kind of like, was it normal for a little
1: bit? Alright, check this out. This is where like, I feel like I have a little bit different story than the average person in long-term recovery is that uh, a lot of people have like that aha moment, like the this is it kind of moment. Dude, I felt terrible. Like inside, emotionally and mentally, like I knew what I was doing was wrong and like at first, the action of doing it, it sucked. Because, like, I was under straight peer pressure, man. And, uh, you know, while it was me who took the drink, yeah. um, Nobody forced it down my throat. Like, it was just, again, one of those things that I felt like I needed to do to fit in, you know. Um, I didn't know what I was going to experience after I actually ended up taking the drink. You know, that's the kicker for me is that, like, the act of doing it. And, like, that initial, like, fear that overcame me after I consumed was just... It was bad because, again, you know, it was... I knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, I was just there, again, kind of doing it to fit in. But, but man, you know, when I first got drunk, that was a different story. That's kind of when things changed. Like, I found out that I enjoyed it and that I liked the way that it made me feel. And I definitely got drunk my first time. Um, I... I definitely got really drunk my first time. I don't, I can't remember if I got sick or not, but there's a chance that I did. You know, so it wasn't like, you know, a shot or a beer. It was like multiple, multiple. We drank until we were, we were inebriated. And then we went to the high school football game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, just to, how, how old are you
1: today? I'm 30, man. I turned 30 last October.
0: I turned 31 last October right right on the dirty 30 club <laughs> um, the uh, so I always curious about the progression right so like we can I just to be transparent we, we met uh, because both of us have recovered from a heroin addiction and I wanted to ask uh, you know where where's that progression happen like where is it that you felt like did you just want to keep trying different things
1: how did it always end up at, at heroin Dude, the progression was real fast. Like, as soon as I drank, it was off to the races. Like, it wasn't very long before I was in mom and dad's, you know, cabinet searching for some muscle relaxers or pain pills or whatever like that. Um, It wasn't very long before we were talking about trying out, you know, cocaine. It wasn't long before we were talking about... You know, eating Xanax or, or or tripping on mushrooms. Like, that all, from the time that I drank, I would say I experimented experimented with, like, 90% of the drugs I've ever done in my life within, like, a year and a half to two years.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Is that just, like, the crew you ran? Everybody was just kind of mm-hmm. trying everything? Like It was the crew, um, but it was also fun. You know? It was the crew, but it was also fun. And, you know, it, dude, I just enjoyed it. I did. I really enjoyed it, you know. Um, and, yeah, a lot of it was the crew, you know. I still maintain that mindset that, like, yeah, I know this is wrong, but it just, did it changed. You knew it was wrong
0: while you were doing it? Yeah, for sure.
1: I definitely did. Like, you know, we were young, and uh, I was always worried about disappointing people. But, like I said, you know, that only lasted a very short period of time. Uh, because once I experienced the feeling that these things produced... Yeah, then that's what it was about. So But the progression was quick. It was real quick. I would say by the time I was a sophomore in high school, the only thing I hadn't done was like hardcore opiates.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. I've drank for the first time my sophomore year of high school. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I gotcha. Wow.
0: So you were already in it in the thick of it. What was it like on a what was your lifestyle like from sophomore to senior year of high school?
1: Uh smoking pot every day, before school, during school, after school. Um you know marijuana was a big part of our lives just loved to smoke pot man. same here yeah um so you know how that goes all day every day um we would drink occasionally during the week and then on the weekends is when we would party you know when we had a little bit more free time is when the experimentation would take place or when we would just buy more quantities of heavier drugs and like and actually dedicate, like, specific time and place to going and doing something. Um, like getting high on a particular drug and, and just experiencing that. Um, and then at night, you know, on the weekends, it was all about the party, you know? We were, uh, I mean, dude, on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, you could always catch us at the Wendy's in East Cobb, like, with the largest-sized drink they had, pouring it out, five of us in a car filling the rest of the cup up with uh, whatever whiskey or liquor we were drinking, and, like, you know, a blunt rolled, ready to hit the road. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so,
0: I was at that Wendy's, bro. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: <laughs> that's just what it looked like. That was routine. There were no questions about it. I mean, even during football season and stuff like that, we would still just constantly be grinding as far as trying to live the life of the party was concerned so
0: that was your i mean similar to mine my focus so your focus was just like did you have any other focuses about what you wanted to do with life did you ever contemplate questions of existence anything like what am i doing or was it just at that age having fun yeah at that Ah,
1: age i don't know man i loved sports growing up Uh, playing baseball is probably one of my favorite things i've ever done in my entire life but like during the four years of high school not really man um I don't know what I, I didn't really have a focus. I really didn't. It's crazy. I didn't care too much about school either. Like I went, you know, um, but didn't make the best grades because I didn't care that much. Um,
0: what about when everyone's like talking about going to colleges and stuff? Did you do that? Did you apply to college or anything?
1: nah i uh-uh. I really didn't even apply to college. I might have like attempted you know a uh, application to like a local. Uh, college, But no, nah, I never even followed through with that. I wanted to go to work. I wanted to... There were certain things that I wanted out of the material world that I knew required money right away. So I had this grand idea that I was going to take a year off of school, get some of those things, and then I'll go to school. You know, Which isn't a bad idea.
0: I mean, if I was talking to someone like being a kid, it's like I wish I could have known what I wanted to do when I went to school. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, a year off for someone like, <laughs> like me.
1: <coughs> oh, yeah. It was a bad thing to do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Uh, so what was that like for you then? Everyone's going off to college. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to just get a job and
1: get your own place and a car. And It, it could have been great, man. It could have been great. I forever have loved heavy equipment. Like, I love, 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 love heavy equipment. Earth moving equipment. Moving dirt. Moving rock. Like, that's my thing. And uh, I grew up around it. So I went to, jo- I went to work. Working a job in that field. And, uh, dude, my judgment was just so off par. I had such a terrible attitude um, when I was younger that like, it didn't work out because of my own actions, you know? Um, I was an idiot, man. I just had no sense of responsibility. So the potential for it to have been become something great was there. I just screwed it up because I was young and immature. So it didn't work out. It failed miserably. In what sense? Uh, I just made bad choices and lost the job that I had. What were you
0: using during this time?
1: Not, I hadn't gotten into the opiates yet. I hadn't got. I had experimented with some, you know, lighter grade stuff back in the day, but nah, not like what I would consider using. I was definitely drinking a lot, definitely still living the life of the party and, and doing the, you know, copious amount of other drugs that comes with being at parties. and you know high school and right after and right after high school but i always
0: think of matthew mcconaughey when i think of the staying home when everyone goes to college you get to be kind of like the dude you know Mm -hmm. who's just like yeah man that was it (laughs) yeah that was definitely it when did it get really bad with you with opiates
1: um i
0: so specifically like up until this point
1: would you say you you weren't you didn't feel like an addict or an alcoholic not yeah, dude, for sure. I it's funny because it just goes to show like how askew my mind was. I had already been busted and arrested four different times for underage consumption of alcohol by the time I was 19. So like on paper it's like this kid's got an issue. Yeah. You know, had been caught multiple times by my parents and family, you know, with different drugs and you know, like yeah, this kid's got a problem. But at the same time, I had the idea that like this was a phase. And that when I needed to, I would phase right out, you know, believed it with every ounce of my soul. But specifically when it got real bad with opiates, the first year everybody came back from college um, for summer, we uh, were going to throw a hoorah for one of our our buddies. He was moving out to Texas and we all went out on the lake one day and got hammered and uh, Got on a wave runner and was cutting across Lake Lanier and had a really bad accident and snapped my right forearm in half and uh, had to have surgery. Got prescribed like 180 10 milligram oxycodone pills. Um, again, you know, I had tried it once really. I'd tried a hardcore opiate one time in my life up until that point and it was so good that I told myself I'll never do this again. And I didn't up until having that surgery So once I had that surgery, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened, Adam, like, I was in really great physical shape, so I think there was a little bit of, like, depression that I went through, um, after being bedridden, not bad. I wasn't bedridden, I was still on my feet, I just couldn't go to the gym and pump iron every day like I was doing at the time, and for someone who loves a routine like me, that's a heartbreaker. And that's one of the things I've
0: noticed that a lot of us that have been addicted to heroin relate about is, like, we need to be in movement. Yes. Stillness is, a, is literally, for me, a challenge.
1: Idle time's a killer, man. Yeah. So, after this surgery, man, like, and, and getting a good prescription and, and a lot of it, I don't know what happened, man. I just, I, I went through the prescription, I recovered from my operation, and all of a sudden I found myself in a position where I was interesting in finding out who was doing this stuff wait
0: like who else is using yeah who's using yeah
1: who's using like i I found myself curious as to like where can i get more of this oh yeah that's basically what it came down to is when i ran out after that surgery i wanted to know where i could get some Mm. and i just started trying to find it um had a great job wonderful company worked for a unbelievable company spent six and a half years there i don't know how but i did um but yeah, I just immediately went on the hunt for it, and I found it. I got linked up with a crowd. I did, and it went like south. Roxy's
0: and Oxys and everything. Yeah,
1: specifically. Yeah. And it went downhill real fast. So, can you can you uh, can
0: you detail that progression a little bit? Um, from my from my perspective, I, mine's the same. I had surgery, deviated septum surgery, and they gave me a bunch of pills, and yeah. I loved it, dude. It was like I was watching Eric Clapton Crossroads. I was playing. You know, Dragon Quest just stoned out of my mind. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be trying these Oxys, dude. Right. Like, and then I, I came home from college for a month before I had to go back for summer school. And I used Oxys every single day. And when I went back for workouts in summer school, I went through withdrawals. I didn't even know what those things were. Ooh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so I had no idea that... I didn't believe that any sort of addiction or, or anything had happened. I thought it was a phase as well.
1: I remember that. That was a defining moment in my life, was when uh, I had my first good little run and uh, didn't know anything about addiction or being physically addicted to a substance, and we went on a family vacation. Dude, it's the worst. Oh, my gosh. We went down to Florida, the whole family. And, you know, why? I, I, why would I think to bring any of this with me? you know, like, I'm not, I'm not an addict, you know, I, or, or do, I, I don't know what happens, I don't even know about that life, but I go on this vacation, and, and within day one, I'm like, not feeling that great, and I go to my mom, I'm like, mom, I don't feel so good, she's like, well, what's wrong, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm cold, I'm sneezing, I, my stomach's really upset, like, I'm achy, I'm, I'm tired, like, I don't know what's going on, and within, like, A few hours, dude. I realized that I was experiencing a physical withdrawal from from the opiates. And I immediately retreated from the family back to my room and attempted to funnel a 12-pack of beer. You know, I had to throw up in between beer number six and beer number seven, but I got them down eventually. And uh, that night I packed my bag, and on, like, day two of this seven-day family vacation, I was on my way back to Atlanta. Yeah, so... Went, wow. from, went from 0 to 100 real quick. And you went back to score, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, I had to. I mean, that, that's how quickly it changed for me. I, I went from being someone who knew nothing about being physically addicted to a substance to someone who under any circumstances had to have it. Had to have it. I was two days
0: in my withdrawal. I had a drug test in a day. And if I would have failed the drug test, I'd have lost a forty-eight thousand dollars scholarship. And I was—I drove to my dope dealer downtown Richmond <laughs> the night before the drug test. It was, this was right after the cravings hit me. I didn't know what it was, and I found myself doing it. And I remember I called my dad. I was like, I, I took—you know—I got—I got stoned. And then I called him. I was like, and I think I'm going to fail this. I think I'm going to lose my scholarship. Like I have a problem. I think I, I have a problem with opiates. Right. When did that happen for you? When you were like, this might be a problem.
1: Uh. You know, it didn't happen for a while. Actually, it's kind of that same mindset as I had in high school, getting all those underage consumption charges and getting busted with drugs. Like I just, I chalked it up to a phase, man. And I was fully convinced and I believed to my innermost self that like I would find a way out of this one day. So that phase didn't happen for a while, but there was a defining moment as to when it did. Um, it was just an average week night, and I. I'm bad with my timeline, man. The the years are hazy, so I, forgive me on that. But, you know, it might have been a year and a half or something in. <laughs> it's crazy coming out of my mouth that it took me that long to, like, admit that I have an issue with this stuff. But um, I was on my way to score. And uh, I just... Something overcame me, and I just had to, like, stop the truck and pull over to the side of the road. And I just started crying, dude. I just started crying because... At that moment, I just knew how badly I wanted to stop doing what I was doing. But for some reason, I couldn't. There was nothing in me that could stop me from going and scoring and getting high. And it was so depressing, and it was so defeating, it was unbelievable. Because I really, dude, I really believed that, like, it felt like I would have done anything in the world to stop doing it. But for some reason, I just couldn't.
0: Even after you break down, like you're yeah. on the way there, you yeah. break down, you're, you're, you're crying, you're yeah. sad, you, you can't not go get stoned. You, and then you kept driving to go get stoned?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I know, it sounds nuts, but uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So um, I call them little moments of clarity. I you know. They're like these little windows where, even in my addiction, I'm truly in touch with the way things are. You know, because as an addict and an alcoholic, like, you know, that's my whole. What I realized in recovery is that, like, my my real aim out there the entire time was to evade, you know, the way things really were the circumstances and the feelings and the emotions of life. Um, But it's interesting to me how there were those windows that I like to call a moment of clarity where I was truly in touch with the way things were. It's like God offered me a chance to experience like the way that I really felt about my situation. But those windows, bro, they were only about like five minutes. They didn't last very long. You know, so as soon as like the fog cleared, you know, and and the tears were out of my eyes, like I had to get high. I had to. I had to. You know, I absolutely had to. I couldn't do anything else if I didn't have the drugs. Couldn't work. Couldn't be a family member, couldn't be a friend. Like, I physically couldn't function, you know? It's like being bedridden, you know, with every terrible symptom of every sickness you've ever had, all at once.
0: And a total inability to wake up in the morning and do anything without having something.
1: Yeah, for sure. Or at least having a plan to get something. A plan, yeah.
0: Takes total priority and commandeers all aspects of life.
1: Yeah, 100%. I agree.
0: So you continue moving forward.
1: Yeah, continue moving forward. Um, continue
0: using, continue, you have that moment of clarity.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, like like came with the alcohol, I ended up experiencing some consequences legally, you mm-hmm. know, starting to get arrested, um, starting to, like, Really have to visit that Superior Courtroom in Cobb County a lot more often than I would like, and that <laughs> brother is a scary place to be. Oh yeah, nobody wants to be in that place. Uh-uh. You min- municipal, I- I'll-, I'll deal with it, but Superior Court, no sir, <laughs> no that's thing. the real deal up in there, and like it was not fun. Um, I had to do a lot of things that I'm not proud of. And it reminds me of that feeling, and I was thinking about this yesterday, the feeling I haven't had in a long time
0: when you know a test is due or you know you're about to get in trouble and you've got that gut-wrenching thing of like, oh, now I have to answer for all the dumb shit I've done and the lack of lack of uh,
1: responsibility Dude, that I've had in my life. Walking into the Superior courtroom with clean piss in your right boot is the worst feeling in the world. Because <laughs> they pull your pant legs up to look down in your boot, kind of, to make sure, I guess, you don't have anything strapped to your calf. And it's like, oh, my God. You know? The worst feeling in the world is when the DA walks up to you and looks you in the face and says, could you pass a drug test right now? And your whole case is on the line. And you look him in the face and you lie. And you say, yes, sir. Because, dude, it's... you You have nothing to lose at that point. Like, you're either getting pinned or you're going to get lucky and get out of there. So it's just... It's terrible, it's insidious, and it's insane, and, like, after I had those moments where I'd finally realized that I needed help, um, or that I couldn't handle this stuff on my own, man, for whatever reason, I couldn't stop doing what I was doing, and the vicious cycle just repeated and repeated and repeated, you know, and, you know, every now and then I would cry out to my family, you know, and tell them that I needed help, but by the end of the conversation, I, I would assure them that I had it under control so crazy to me it's like that's what my disease does it's like within a matter of minutes it you know i'm in touch with myself and and i have an opportunity to recover maybe maybe and then 10 minutes later it's like oh there's my disease reminding my family and my peers that no we're good i've got this and uh it sucks so yeah it went on for years it went on for a few more years (laughs) and it was miserable so
0: yeah that's what's so challenging about about getting sober just starting out like if you're still just the very beginning because your brain is overwhelmed with thoughts of use 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 get stoned and it's a total it's like you literally can't think clearly it's when i think about when i first came in the rooms when i first started getting sober i just had to be i had to be somewhere around people that were talking about anything else and luckily i knew that there was groups and stuff i could go to where they were talking about how to be sober because I didn't know any of that shit. Like, I'd been thrown in treatment centers. I'd been thrown in rehabs and recovery residences. And, all, and, and you know, along the way, I, I guess I learned a little bit about what it takes to be sober, but I never really tried to do any of this shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. What was it for you? Did you end up in any treatment centers or three quarters or halfway houses? Did your parents pull an intervention on you? How'd you end up, to, how'd you end up stopping?
1: Um, I got arrested for the last time in June of 2013 and uh caught more felony charges and uh at that point in time i remember sitting you know up in the jail cell in cobb county and uh, just being like all right i'm done finally like I, i'm done trying to maintain this facade um i'm not gonna call work i'm not gonna call my family this is it for me you know i'm about to i'm about to live a real junkie lifestyle
0: wait 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 like you were going to commit to being
1: a junkie pretty much dude yeah because doing? yeah because <laughs> up until then man it's like i had been it was it was stressful trying to trying to like fake out the rest of the community that i had my shit together
0: yeah so you, you get know? caught with a felony charge you end up in jail and, and you're like and fuck i'm like it i'm going
1: all in fuck it i'm done dude i'm done i'm just gonna lay here until someone calls my name and tells me what to do i guess mm-hmm. you know uh so like day four i got a phone you know they call my name and I get out of there, and my parents pick me up and take me straight to treatment, you know? And I was just so dead inside that I was like, whatever, you know? As long as you get me a carton of Newports and a Mountain Dew on the way there, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Mm.
0: Um, Were you physically sick at this point?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Because the first thing I thought when I caught a breath of fresh air outside of the jail is like, I got to get high. Mm -hmm. I had a little money in my wallet, man, and I tried to pull it off. I tried to. I did. I tried to, to, to weasel my way into a situation where I could go get high, but they weren't having it. You know, They were like, this is it. This is the last chance you're gonna get. If you want help now, we'll take you there right now. But if you don't, see you later and good luck.
0: Mm-hmm. How old are you right
1: here? 23, oh, yeah, 23, yeah. And um, I was like, all right, you know, right, let's go. So, to answer your question, I went to treatment one time, and I committed to a sober living program after that. I spent four and a half months inpatient.
0: At the treatment center? Yeah. What was that experience like for you?
1: Honestly, I describe it as the most fun that I'd never want to have again. <laughs> yeah. and it's a great way to describe it. For real. Um, it was like, dude, I got to just check out a life, bro. It was great in a way. Um, The fact-facing and the fear-facing stuff sucked. The uh, discomfort that I went through physically for like, I don't know, 30, 40 days was miserable. You know, the withdrawals were terrible. Not to mention I was like about a stone's throw from a dope dealer of mine too, you know, in in the residency where we lived. So that was a little bit of a challenge, Um, but for whatever reason, I made it. Um, When I got out of inpatient treatment, they offered a sober living community to any of the people who had commenced from their program. And I spent six and a half months in sober living. So I was kind of institutionalized for like 10 and a half, 11 months, for the first 10 and a half, 11 months of my sobriety. Um, you know, and you ask what it was like, like the overall scheme of it is that it was, it was necessary and it provided what I needed. It provided a platform for me to begin my recovery. It was not only a, an introduction to a program that could help keep me sober, but it provided a network and a community of guys and girls, dude. There were girls there too. The, young adult. It provided a young adult community of people that I could begin to develop authentic relationships for with for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. So every tool that I needed to stay sober was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. I just had to be willing to pick it up and use it. Mm-hmm. Um and it was really cool. Um, I mean, I, I really started to dig life pretty early on in recovery, because for like 30 days, I was convinced that on day 90 of inpatient, I was gonna get high, you know? But at the same time, there was a piece of me that was willing to see what, what the transformation might be like, or if there even was a transformation, you know? Like, I'm still gonna keep like my, my bus ticket, for lack of a better phrase, You know, in case I do need to ride out. But at the same time, I'm going to see what this place is like while I'm here. And I did that. And all of a sudden, I I can't explain it. I just had a shift in attitude and in perception and in the idea that, like, maybe I can stay sober. I don't know what happened. I just did what was asked. And that's what happened. So everything else was already in place. The the guys, the people, um, the introduction to a program, um, everything was in place and uh, I just kinda fell right into it.
0: What was it like when you got your year sober?
1: Remarkable. It was unbelievable. I mean, it almost seemed like a dream. It almost seemed like a dream for two reasons. Specifically, and one was because for my entire life that I was convinced that I was going to find a way to maintain a responsible, uh, career-oriented lifestyle while still using drugs. I was forever committed to that. And I and I truly believed that I was gonna find a way to make it work and that this would be a part of my life forever, so to, to reach a point in my life where I had achieved 365 days without a drink or a drug was ridiculous.
0: Or a toque or a puff.
1: Yeah, anything, man, nothing. And then also, it was remarkable because, I don't know, man, because it felt like at the same time that like I knew what I had done to get there, I still didn't understand how it was working. Like, mm. I, I just still was in a state of amazement and in a state of awe. That, at like
0: the, at this point, did you not have, like, did you have any close calls where you had to, where you really wanted to use, it, use and didn't?
1: So, a lot of people ask that question. Like, when was the last time that you honestly thought about taking a, a drink or a drug? And it was in my first year of sobriety. Um, and it was around, like, month... Five or six, and when I was staying at this place, inpatient and in sober living, I lived in College Park, and I was working in Norcross at the time. So I had to drive straight through downtown every day, to and from work. And uh, there was this one specific week, like after Thanksgiving before Christmas, where I just recall, as soon as I would walk out the doors at work, it's like the obsession would hit me, bro. The obsession would hit me. I was doing the work. Doing the work, I was I was doing everything with a sponsor, going
0: to meetings, all that
1: stuff. Yeah, I was doing everything that was being suggested to me, but for some reason this one week did the obsession just hit me. And what I mean by the obsession is I really wanted to get high. And uh So the suggestion was get on the phone as soon as you walk out the door. No, be on the phone as you're walking out the door with another dude in recovery, and that's what I did. And somehow I I made it through that entire week going all the way home without getting off at Freedom Parkway you know, to cop dope. And uh, after that week, man, I can't say that it's even been a consideration of mine to get higher drunk since then. So, I mean...
0: I think that's so important because I talk to a lot of guys who... There's a level of willpower that you implemented in that situation where you were given the suggest- suggestion and yeah. you chose to be, and I, I that's how I describe it to my guys, a warrior. Right. Like it's a warrior ethos. It's, it's saying, sure. I'm going to do, I'm going to fight this thing. For sure. I'm not going to succumb to it.
1: For sure. And yeah. it, I believe it
0: takes that. There, and, and any person in recovery or any person in life, there's, there's going to be moments and there's going to be challenges and there's going to be struggles where you're going to have to say, fuck it, I'm going to fight back, and I'm right. going to do what I know is right, even
1: though it's the tough thing to do. Yeah, make the hard choice. Hell yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reward in doing something like that. It
0: give, it makes it your own. Oh, yeah. It makes the... When you come through it,
1: you came through it, dude. Yeah, it's like that motto, y'all everybody heard as a kid playing sports, like, don't be a quitter, you know? And, and, and as ridiculous as that might have been for being so young, dude, now I understand it. It's like, it builds self-discipline to because what I, I told a guy that i work with the other day i said dude i said think about two months ago when you told yourself honestly that you wanted to do this and that you were committed to it now you're having second thoughts remember man you committed to it there was a point in your life where you were you were so enriched with what you were about to do and embark on that nothing was going to stop you why are you second guessing yourself now mm. and if you are it's okay just just follow through just keep following through man you know so that's you're right it there's a lot of scenarios in life that are like that. I deal with it every day. You know, I work in a job that I love today, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that some days I don't throw my fists up and just and yell at the top of my lungs because I'm so frustrated. Same here. You know, might be a part of doing what I love, but um, it's tough sometimes. Oh yeah. Relationships, you know, with, with people in the, the world, make me frustrated as can be and i wish that i could just control things and change the outcome but i can't you know so having to be in a state of acceptance and deal with that stuff is hard it's really important to
0: allow ourselves and this is what i think i feel lucky that i that been a heroin addict in recovery because i feel i feel lucky that i know relief is a is a phone call away yeah. and it's and the coolest part about talking to people that know me that know you is like you can be fucking pissed to your bro on the phone there's been times when i've yelled at my friends because i'm so frustrated and they're willing to receive it right i just need a lot of times i just need to get out the emotion and and i think that's what a lot of the challenge is is learning how to do that in ways that don't harm or manipulate people yeah because if you're if you're unaware of it and you just start acting out on your emotion and like going to the source of the cause of it that doesn't help anybody Right. But if you attempt to understand it within yourself and use the people around you to do that? Like my bros know when I or when I call them like I'm not calling them, you know, I'm calling them to so I can be fucking clear again, dude, cuz we're human. We're going to we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fuck up, we're going to be scared, we're going to be anxious, we're going to be angry. So it's like that whole process, it's a continuation. It doesn't end because you stop using drugs and alcohol. It's Correct. just begun. That's right. Yeah, I mean you got to you do, we don't know how that is, really, if you think about
1: it. Yeah. I mean, it really highlights the idea that, like, the drugs and the alcohol don't have anything to do with what the actual issue is. Mm. The issue is up in the top of my head, in between my ears and behind my eyes. Mm-hmm.
0: You
1: know, that's where the issue is. And I never realized that, you know? Uh, I never realized that, which is why for a long time I just mm. thought if I could just put this stuff down, my life would be great. You know, if I could just stop doing heroin that, like things will be okay Um, but that wasn't at all the case, once I stopped doing the heroin, I realized that I still had to participate in life and find a way to, to cope with life, I had to find a connection with something I was dying inside it's what it really revealed, is that like there was a hole inside of me and in my chest that I could not fill, you know and that it, it just ate me up until I was able to start replacing it with something other than drugs and alcohol, I you know? So what, did,
0: what have you found? You know, as we sit out here at East Cobb Park, it's a beautiful day. We got people exercising. Everyone's living their lives. We're enjoying each other. The flag football's starting.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. It's crazy because a lot of people would say this isn't a beautiful day. But for me, and right now, it's just, it is. It, this is really cool to be here.
0: What What is it that uh, as you got sober after that year chip um, can you talk a little bit about continued recovery and like what that means to you and, and any sort of, were there any inflection points from that year to now where it was like you're up against the wall, life is just bearing in on you and you don't
1: know what to do? The first thing that I thought of As you started asking the question, was like serving others. Um, You know, it's when you mentioned continued recovery that I thought of like being of service to something other than myself. Um, Back up against the wall. I don't know. Um, To be honest with you, Adam, for some reason, like I've always had an unusual ability to keep my priorities in line don't get me wrong i've made mistakes i have strayed from from what might be considered right in my action in a lot of people's eyes but at the end of the day my recovery has always been the most important thing followed closely by family friends work and then having fun on the side Um, those four priorities it's I just I sit here and I just can't almost not really explain how it's happened but they've been on the forefront of my mind so much that I don't know that my back's been up against the wall since I've been clean man
0: that is so awesome to hear dude because I'm coming from the perspective now where it's like every day all I'm I've been sober six years now now I'm like all I want to do is be of service yeah dude because I think if it just allows me not to think about me it allows me to be part of what wants to be
1: right and what's cool is like you know you get into recovery and you start to hear the word humility a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even know what that word really meant until I was like a couple years clean I just said it a lot because it sounded good and that's what everybody else was saying but um, after participating in recovery for a while and gaining a little bit of humility um, I realized that life isn't so much about what I have um, or or what I can attain personally And, and in the materialistic world it's more about like what can I contribute to someone else's life you know and and to the possibility that there are others who can recover especially from heroin addiction and you know it's just it's such a terrible thing and it's taking so many lives on a daily basis nowadays that like if, if there's one teeny tiny little small change that I can make as an individual in recovery who can share that same experience with someone else who's trying to get sober dude that's the most important thing in my life today that is is what i live for today is what i would say Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong i love my job i've loved what i do since a little kid Um, and it's very important to me i love my family i love my friends but for some reason right now and in my life i truly believe that that's 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 what i'm supposed to be doing and that's kind of like my purpose for right now it might change tomorrow i don't know but for right now that's that's where i feel it's at
0: So this, just to be honest with you, dude, this is, I mean, when we first started, came in contact a couple months ago, I was in one of the worst, coming out of one of the worst spaces I've ever been in. And, and it's interesting because in my mind, I have this idea in my head that I have to represent for people that want to get sober or don't know how to, but like your influence is what brought me to sit here on a beautiful day, feeling comfortable in my own skin and, and content and like present and happy connected and it was just because your willingness to just talk to me dude because I mean like I and I think a lot of people I think we lose a lot of people because they think that because there's so many so much time sober they can't be real they can't continue to share where they're at but like we're here to help like you've helped me in a way that I can't even communicate because I mean and it's and it's it's interesting because I know humility is a huge thing and I know it wasn't you you know what I'm saying like you're just, you're doing, your priorities are set in a way that I want to have them set, where my back won't be against the wall, because all I'm doing is just trying to be, to be, just represent what, you know, I don't know, just trying to be me, I guess, or help the best I can. Um, Yeah, man, I just, I can't even, you know, like there's, I have a a bad habit of, of feeling like I need to continue to do stuff and, and hurt myself to make up for the hurt that I've caused other people mm. so I put myself in situations where I experience pain and challenge and fear and I'll and I'll move towards it just because I feel I have to because of the I guess and this is what I learned this last year and with the help of coming back around groups and stuff and being involved and talking to people like you is I've learned that the people the the whatever it is I think I'm trying to make up for or whatever Whatever kid I'm trying to talk to, to speak some sense into him, the way, I, to try and save him, doesn't exist. It's all in my head, and 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 it, uh, this is I guess I I guess I'll say it. I lost a close friend, and uh, and somebody had me say, you know, what would she say to you if she were here right now? When it was it was a few months ago when I was in a really really tough spot, and. I was, I was like, she would say, um, I don't want you to do anything. Just be happy. And that's, that moment is what made me realize, like, I, I have been carrying around the burden. You know, we talk about amends. We talk about doing things to make things right. For some reason, I never felt like any of it was enough. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Live with that every day. And I think that's okay. But you know, like I, it it keeps me motivated it keeps me knowing that like I can't go back but it doesn't I don't have to continue I don't have to continue harming myself
1: right yeah and you know as you and I both sit here as people who have found a way to stay sober for a little while you know multiple years and I feel like that's the biggest struggle today is is how do I find a way to, to truly believe within myself that what I have right now is enough because for some reason, you know, and, and I think that it's a lot of addicts and alcoholics will tell anybody this, that um, what is probably the hardest thing in sobriety is is uh, is trying to stop searching, you know, outside ourselves for, for what's going to make us feel better. You know, for what, for what how much enjoyment can we truly squeeze out of this situation and, and strangle, you know, the things and the people around us. Uh, in order so that we can just go to sleep at night. You know, the the goal and the mission, you know, is like, how can that come from within? You know, how can I just be? And how can I just sit at a park in East Cobb and, you know, on a cloudy day and just find beauty in this situation and be like, dude, this is enough right now. Like, I am truly at peace right now. That's what I'm after, and it's a hard thing to do, you know. So that that's the mission. I think that's a lot of our mission today is, is trying mm-hmm. to find that place and trying to maintain the ability to stay at that place
0: absolutely it makes me think about the uh the set aside prayer uh, where it says basically like alleviate myself of everything i think i am everything I, everything i think this is and allow me to be of service to whatever it wants to be right and i've learned in my you know i've you know started companies started bands fell in love you know all mm-hmm. the stuff that i've uh, ever thought i wanted came to me you know living out of my laptop dreams come true on the radio all that shit all these things I thought were gonna make me happy you know yeah having you know it's it and it didn't it didn't
1: yeah none of it worked none of it worked none of it worked
0: and and it was like for some reason I felt like it it just meant I needed to work harder
1: right what's crazy is how much I'll try the same thing over and over and over and over and, mm-hmm. and over again until I'm truly miserable again and I'm talking about in sobriety I'm not talking about you know, when I'm still getting I'm talking about when I'm sober when I'm multiple years clean I'll still try the same thing over and over <laughs> again to try to to either make it work or to get the satisfaction that I'm searching for out of it and mm-hmm. I and I don't and then I and then I get beaten back into a state of reasonableness and, and a willingness to try to ask for help again, you know, and it's funny how like the whole cycle repeats itself in sobriety, you know, I'm grateful for these things, you know, they do suck to go through things and to struggle in sobriety, but I'm grateful for them because I feel like it's what keeps me, you know, in a a constant attempt to try to get connected with the God of my understanding today, you know, it's like God's way of uh, reminding me that I still have work to do, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm far from it, and uh, let me show you what what we need to work on, you know. And, and that keeps me searching and seeking. And I think that that state of seeking and searching is also what keeps me humble enough to be willing to help, you know. At the same time, so I'm grateful for that. It's a pretty cool little experience. So,
0: absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, dude. Like this was the coolest thing about like doing this because this is only the third one I've done. I, you know, in a, I'm just starting this again. It's like I listened to Neilan's episode probably six or seven times, dude. Two times while I was editing it and then three or four while I was venting at the tire mold or cleaning it at, at my job because I kept learning when I was listening back to it. And to me, it's something I'd lost along the way was curiosity. Right. You know, and I just I want to appreciate it because you're helping me by by sitting down with me and and I know you'll help some other people too we will hopefully Um, that was the ambulance somebody's (laughs) help is on the way for someone else right now like that's the thing man it's like you live long enough you realize like all of us all of us just want to do like we all want to help each other man like it's not you know there's EMT workers there's police officers there's people that are carrying the message of recovery you know there's infinite amounts of ways that we can help our community and the people in our lives,
1: right? And you just, yeah, I just. It's funny you mentioned our community. You mentioned Neilan, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind us like talking. It's like all of us are from the same spot, dude. <laughs> all of us are the same age from East Cobb. Right, it's crazy, you know. And here we are, sober. You know, um, it's just so bizarre to me, man. It's so cool to have these relationships. These are true, truly unique and special relationships, you know. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah, you're right, dude. It's, it's just a cool experience, man. And it's a blessing, you know. Most of all, like, it's important for me to remember that this isn't something that I got, you know. This is something that was given to me, you know. So I'm very thankful for it. And mm-hmm. it's really cool to sit down and just do this with you, uh, to just reflect on our own individual recovery and our addiction is such a cool thing to do.
0: Would you be open to giving your email address in case anybody listening may want to reach out with any questions? or?
1: Yeah, for sure. Is email the best way to go about it?
0: Whichever way you'd like, really.
1: Yeah, uh, it's real easy. Uh, Lassiter311 at gmail.com. Lassiter311.com at gmail.com yeah. L-A-S-S-I-T-E-R and then 311 because that's still my favorite band <laughs>
0: <laughs> hell yeah dude um, yeah man so let's go ahead and close out if you have any questions, comments, feedback, anything at all shoot on shoot me or Ben a message we'd be happy to talk to you um, just some quick housekeeping before we close we're sitting at East Cobb Park the spot of the H-A Unity event which will, will be happening June 22nd uh, hit either of us up about it. Hit me up if you want to do five minutes. I'm going to set up the, the stage for open mic. You bring your bass, bring your guitar, bring your poems, bring your essays. Let's get you to, let's, let's share some art in, in the park. We're going to have kickball from three to, starting two or three o'clock. And it's just going to be a ruckus. So that will be coming up on the docket soon. And you know I'm about to close this out with some 311, dude. Oh, nice. It's going to happen. Good. Mm. What uh, what song? What song would you want to force people to listen to?
1: <laughs> because there's no other better way to describe my life in recovery and in addiction. I would say beautiful disaster is appropriate. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thanks for joining us and. Uh